Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hey there, it's Sarah Shaw, and I'm here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And I'm here today with Abby Endress, who's the founder of Lyft, a marketing and advertising agency that specializes in sports, entertainment, attractions, and lifestyle marketing. Lyft's main objective is to help brands deliver increased revenue and attendance through custom ad campaigns and activations. In 2009, Abby decided to take the entrepreneurial leap with her first client, DreamWorks, and never looked back. So when I read that, I was like, DreamWorks? Seriously? That was your first client? So (laughs) of course, I was totally intrigued, and I'm like, wow, uh, that is so awesome. Uh, And what's so funny is the very first movie I ever worked on when I was – 22 in the movie business was a DreamWorks movie. So, uh, and people used to say like, wow, your first movie was directed by Steven Spielberg. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I was just like, wow. Uh, I mean, not that yours might have anything. Your, obviously DreamWorks is a big company, but talk about, you know, how you got started with Lyft and, and what, you know, how you ended up landing DreamWorks as your first client. Absolutely, and it's funny, it does sound glamorous, and many things in sports and entertainment sound glamorous, but then you pull back the curtain and you look behind the scenes on any stage, and it's not as pretty as it is when you're sitting in the audience, right? Exactly. Similarly, um, stepping out on my own and first client, DreamWorks, you know, there's a lot of blood and sweat that probably precede getting DreamWorks on board, but in, and certainly a history of, of how Lyft began, and I'll start there a little bit, but um, DreamWorks at the time, I was working with them and, and some of their Northeast shows for one of the tours they had put on put on the road. So um, that was my first step out on my own, and then building from there. But really, how how Lyft began and sort of starts and with many people is inspiration and at any age. But stories of entrepreneurship and an insane respect for people who made their own opportunities and just earned respect as well. So really, you just started out with nothing and sweated out to make it. Um, and not one person in particular that inspired me, but so many regular people along the way. And I had been in New York for, for many years. I had a lot of amazing opportunities in New York City and worked for amazing companies from Madison Square Garden to what's now MetLife um, and then for producing company as well and uh, dabbled even in the online gaming world. So, you know, in a short period of time, and over 10 years, got great experiences a great network of contacts, and again, starting out young right into the industry, those contacts have, have grown up at the same time I sure. am in really great positions around the country. Um, and, and for me, it was there was this moment with, you know, talk about family too, but where you're working, you know, 15, 16-hour days, and it's nonstop, and, and there's no end. And I just thought to myself, well, we're – we're going to have a family, and we decided to make a move in '09 outside of New York City up to Saratoga Springs, which is a, 
a really neat town uh, about two and a half hours north of the city by train, and it's vibrant. There's lots going on here with thoroughbred horse racing and lakes and mountains and skiing and outdoors. We thought this would be a good place to be, um, but at the same time, it was it was terrifying. I spent a long time, and my whole passion in my career was sports, entertainment, and attractions, and I said, well, we're making this move for family and quality of life, but what's going to become of my everything that I've built and worked so hard for? Right, and you were two and a half hours from New York City. <laughs> that too, and <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it wasn't exactly the same level of entertainment and sports playing field that I was used to. Right. So um, anyway, I, I set out on my own and, and set up the business with sheer panic. Um, but it was also a moment of, well, what do I do? You know, I certainly looked around for opportunities here locally before setting up Lyft. But there was a moment where you stick to what you know and what you're good at and that level of expertise. Whether, and again, people are passionate. It doesn't mean you have to love it. Um, for me, it's a passion, but do I love it? No, but am I drawn to it like a moth to a flame? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> so Can you I had talk, to go about, talk about the difference between that a little bit? Because I think some people think, you know, I like it, and it's fun, and it makes me money, right? That kind of seems like one, one corner. And then the opposite corner, right, in the ring is that you can't, you know, you're super passionate about something, and you – you know, I don't know, sometimes people think passion has to do with, has to be connected with a cause or a reason or something like that. But talk a little bit more about, for you, kind of how you make peace, peace with that for yourself. Like how, how does the liking versus what people think of as passion? Yeah, it's, you know, it's an, that's an interesting question and I do think about it a lot. So for me, it's like once you get into something and it's what you know, it's not necessarily what you love, but it's what you it's and forgive me for saying this because I'll probably regret it later, but it almost does define you for the moment mm-hmm. for the person you are in your career um, mm-hmm. and when you're good at it and if you step away from it, you're like, "Oh man, I missed that like I need to be part of that um I was there, and I felt that energy, and I couldn't stop, and the pace, and and especially when you're talking about sports and entertainment, it's all leading up to something, whether it's a game or the tour or the concert or the curtain goes up. There's those those peaks and valleys of, like, the build, and I think you get addicted to that, like addiction mm-hmm. in general. You just get addicted to that feeling, and um, it's not that I, I love it, but I, I crave it. <laughs> and I, I totally know what you mean because that's how working in the film business was to me. It was exciting, and I was so proud of what I did all the time, and, it's, and it was exciting, and it was kind of glamorous at times, right? I mean, like, you know, the same thing. The curtain goes up and you're shooting on a movie. For you, the curtain goes up and you're, you know, there's the, the concert you worked hard to produce or, right. the, or the sports event, you know, or something that you're working on. And it's that, it, it, it has that high energy vibration about it, I guess. You know, yeah. sports and entertainment does. That just kind of sucks you in. It's like everybody you know, everybody I know who still works in the film business is like, I don't even know how to get out of it. Like, it's just it's a vortex, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, my friends, when I was getting out of the film business, they're like, run, run, do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing with my business, but I'm leaving, you know? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So. Well, that was me too. And I said, you know, eventually you get to, a, I got to a moment where I said, all right, well, I'm here. I'm away from the city 
it's going to be what I create that's going to propel me. So it's almost right. like I turned around and opened my arms to the chihuahua that was nipping at my heels. I said, all right, we're going to go. <laughs> we're going to do this together. <laughs> right. Lead the way, please, somebody. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and then it, and then it, and it grew from there. So really starting the company in my basement, um, acting. I always said we. I never said I. And having this vision, this long-term vision, was really key. And I think it's key for any person who is stepping out on their own and building a business is that you have to have a vision. You have to know where you're going. You have to know where you're going tomorrow in five days, in five years. And it's not perfect because everyone's like, oh, what's your business plan? You you can't predict your business plan when you're starting a business. You can predict mm-hmm. your path and your vision and set yourself some benchmarks along the way of where you need to be. But there's so many twists and turns that, you know, especially in service versus product mm-hmm. or units, you know, where you're selling items and you meet demand and you create demand. But in service, it's all about maintaining your building clients, maintaining clients, you know, structuring contracts the right way to support a business and eventually hire staff and, and create all of the in-house agency resources that you need. And that stuff takes time. Um, it's much, you know, if you're selling a plan or you're being absorbed or you have a venture VC or someone investing in your business or a partnership and there's money in place, you know, there's other ways to go about it. But when you're doing it purely on your own, you do have to account for all of those pieces. So when I started Lyft from my basement, it was always a we, you know, creating this uh, pitch that it was about agency resources and by always having a plan on how to deliver it and deliver it better than anybody else. So that's that's truly how it started, and with DreamWorks as the account, it led to more accounts and more accounts and slowly started to build, and, and um, it would be a year and a half in that I hired my first employee. Um, so, again, some people start out saying consultant, but I never said consultant. I always wanted agency, um, mm. and I can tell you a little bit about the void that I saw the agency filling, and that set us apart to be a bit different. So, yeah, so, t- so talk about the difference between for you between the word consultant and agency because I think of myself as a consultant, mm-hmm. not as an agency. So, right. you know, and so, but I do think of you, I mean, to me, it makes sense that you're an agency. Uh, you know, I don't know from, I don't know, again, maybe that's my entertainment background, but. Well, I guess fundamentally, and I'm sure people out there will give me the exact definitions, but I think in my head, consultant is when you're on your own and you mm-hmm. don't have a payroll. So you just, the money you make and the the business you make, you know, is paying you. And if you get overloaded, you can bring in people if you need help and bandwidth. Um, But it's truly one person that you're controlling your own personal P&L versus an agency where you have staff and you payroll and insurance and benefits and and, um, departments and meetings. So much more of an agency structure. So the step originally, probably when I started out, people saw me as consultant, but I always tried to create the momentum and and the writings and the communication and the contracts leading up to the fact that we were way more than that because I knew that was critical for me to get future business and grow Mm -hmm. way beyond beyond myself, Abby Endress, because if it was just Abby Endress that I started with and I am today, then I would have never seen the successes that the agency has now, and it's bigger than me personally. Right. Like you could step down in a sense and wave your wand from afar and, and it wouldn't fall totally fall apart. <laughs> right, or I'd prefer um, to step sideways over into St. John's for the weekend or something. No, I'm just kidding. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> uh, 
I'll be, I'll be, just call me. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you oh, know, probably, we, we talked about this before. When, when exactly. you're in something and you own a business, you yeah. never step away. No, not 100%. <laughs> um, no, it's so sad. Sometimes I'd be like, I, w- I went on vacation and I only checked my email for 30 minutes a day. And somebody was like, really, you couldn't just like leave your phone at home? And I'm like, are you kidding? No, of course not. And I was like, I'd just be a nervous rack. You know, I just wouldn't be able to, you know. Um, yeah. and, then, you know and then, of course, you're I like, I feel better oh, when I'm connected. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so, um, so one of the things I want to touch on about what you were just saying, because you know you you throw out a lot of technical terms, you know P and L, and obviously I know what that is, but not everybody might, which profit and loss sheet, but but that you know you do have an MBA background, and so do you feel? And sometimes I feel like people. I mean, obviously I I have a street and I have a street smart MBA, yeah. and um, and you know and I I have always wanted. You know, I've, I've I've learned over the years, right? I've like sat down with my accountant and had to learn things, and you know, um, but there's things that I think that entrep- a lot of entrepreneurs lack who don't have um, a, any kind of business training at all, which which is that planning factor that you were talking about, and and that you know that intrigues me because you were able to, and I'm assuming this had something to do with you know, with your education um, as well as your, you know, previous 10 years of training in the field, you know, and probably having to, to plan out for clients or plan out for your companies that you worked for. But, but being able, I think a lot of entrepreneurs fall short in that long-term planning vision, right? They have a vision like, oh, yeah, I want to make a million dollars, you know, and, but that's not a vision, you know, for a company. And I think people don't necessarily see the difference between like, well, having to look at what the steps are to actually get there, you know? Right. And, um, and so do you think that, that, your, that, that your education and your previous work experience helped you to be able to, to plan out that vision and made it a little bit more clear, like the path more clear for you to be able to kind of follow in what you decided should be sort of the general footsteps of your business plan? growing ideas <laughs> yes no and I, I i totally get the question and i i've been thinking a lot of, about it just in general because you know you don't have to have an mba my my brother uh toby he's he started his own development company and he's you know he he's doing amazing and his company's been in place for many many years um and growing and acquiring real estate um tenfold so he, he's doing spectacular he doesn't have an MBA and is certainly self-taught and he's been an entrepreneur since 14 um, with a mm-hmm. different business. Yeah. He started a tree trimming business and then he built food yeah. tables and then he went into something else. And my father-in-law also... Sounds like my brother. <laughs> my father-in-law <laughs> didn't have an education, um, a higher education either. And he started his own business and did very, you know, very, very well. So, you know, I think communication and talking to people and being just street smart um, exactly what your 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 uh, podcast is about is really key. A lot of that stuff's innate. For me, um, I got an MBA. I saw a value in having an MBA because I wasn't the smartest kid in the room. I, you know, I was an average student. I I 
liked school. I didn't love school. I preferred to do sports and everything else. So for me, I'm also social and networking and things like that. But I was like, let me get an MBA because if I need to be more well-rounded. I needed to understand more finance and corporate finance. I wanted to understand accounting. Not that I'm good at it, but I needed to have an understanding of it mm-hmm. if I wanted to build a business. And, and certainly at the time, I, it, when I was going through my MBA, it was, I did it as an executive program, so I was working full-time, too, and then going to school, putting myself through school at night, you know, and taking the train and, of course, all these things that I don't <laughs> care to remember right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that gave me a basic foundation of things that I did not know much about that have mm-hmm. allowed me to create an agency structure that has healthy margins, has year-over-year growth, and most importantly, has runway and sustainability for staffing. So a lot of times, especially in the agency world, accounts come and go. Um, so therefore, you have to have the ability to adjust. But I've really prided myself, and maybe because I'm an independent owner versus a conglomerate ownership, in setting up a very stable structure for the company so that employees had stability here as much as we had the ability to grow accounts. That's a long way to answer. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, but I think it's important to, to, for people to know that there's, you know, that the business side of their business is really important. And I think especially, you know, for product-based designers and, and even a lot of service-based people, they get so caught up in what they're creating and selling, right, that it, they often can lose sight of the fact that it's actually a business, right, and a business first, right, and, and right. making money and how you make the money and the profit margins have to be the most important thing. Exactly. Um, you know, because otherwise you can, you'll just be doing it for free, like right. pretty much I was when I first started my handbag line because I didn't know anything about any of that. So well, you have to start like, somewhere, and that's yeah, <laughs> I was there too. I didn't make any money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm selling the stuff. Why aren't I making any money? Um, you know, and being able to figure those things out, and it's kind of the ugly part, you know, of the business for most people. You know, they they just kind of want to put their head in the sand, and you know, it's um, you know, people are people don't really want to look at those things. It's kind of like you know, you don't want to think about death and taxes, but they're both yeah. going to happen, right? Um, right. And, and so being, I think being able to put those things first is such an important step in having a successful business. So, um, and so speaking of successful businesses, um, so obviously, you know, we all get, you know, challenges and all kinds of stuff thrown at us all the time, right, with business, good, bad, ugly. And so what are some of the things that you came up against when you were first getting started that you kind of had to hurdle over to, to really make this work for you? You know, we all make some silly mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah what, I mean, I was w- one of yours? would say, you know, it was doubt and having to prove um, mm. prove the agency and prove that we were a player and could deliver um, on big asks. So, you know, certainly a hustle to get business and to prove that we could, con- you know, complete the business. And that's why, you know, we're 100% referral-based today. So, I mean, we've got a, the, there's a whole other conversation about the next level and the pop. But the reason why we're 100% referral is because once we get a client, we keep the client, and then they tell the next you got to, you know, work with this agency. They get it. Um, you know, Lyft was started 
because there was this constant need of quick turnarounds in sports and entertainment, um, quick turnarounds and need for sales and attendance and um, additional revenue streams. So coupled with this need for quality messaging and creative and custom planning every single time, because every audience is different. So there was this void Mm -hmm. in the the market. Um, And there was lots of other agency options, expensive or siloed or billable hours. And it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. When I was on the venue side, it was a challenge because, we had to manage budget to still get programs that delivered results. So this whole idea of like fast-paced, quick turnaround, you know, budgets, operations on the back end, what's possible, created lift. It's basically filling this lead, um, this need for tri-point expertise of expertise, venue, and producer. So I, that idea is how Lyft was born. So when I started and going out there, it was really about proving and overcoming this hurdle of like, yes, we do it all. Yes, you know me from before, but now we can do the creative that, you know, you guys were doing in other places. We can do media planning and buying. We can do custom planning. We can do um, – you know, we'll find a way, and this this really go-getter attitude is how it started, and then it's just snowballed, and the best part is having all of these feathers in our cap where our clients have been successful because of the work that we've delivered. Mm-hmm. So, so when you first started Lyft, obviously you were all by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, did, so did you, you did all the copywriting and all the, every, I mean, you were chief bottle washer and floor scrubber. For everything, right? Yeah, for for the first year, um, year and a half, and then I hired my first um, employee, and that was been because the just the work started to vol, you know, increase in volume, you know, and at that point, I was doing the media planning and buying and pulling it together and negotiating the rates, but recognizing that there's obviously experts at their craft and. As I said before, you know, you surround yourself. I wasn't the smartest person in the room, but you surround yourself with really, really smart people that are amazing and talented, and you empower them. Then you can create something great, especially to you know, with with myself knowing the industry and creating a team that can really deliver. But you're right; you have to roll up your sleeves in the beginning and get it done, or find a way to get it done and do it well. Right, right. Um, and how, how? So I mean. So after you guys, after this, you know, first year and you're, you know, getting, getting tons of clients, you know, from having had DreamWorks as your first client, um, <laughs> that, so, so what, what kind of successes along the way changed the way the world sees your company? Like what were some of the big things for you? Like when I had my handbag company, my bag was in Legally Blonde and that changed, cool. totally changed my company overnight. You oh, know. That's great. Um, so, you know, so, so something, you know, some, some of the, something that could either, you know, was a, and that was a total fluke, it, it kind of in a way, um, I feel like so much of my life has been a fluke. Um, <laughs> just into you things. can't predict it. Um, no. And um, so, so what do you think was kind of your turning point in, in how the world sees your company, you know, your world of, of yeah. sports and entertainment? You know, I think it, there there was a slow build and then to um, one grand moment. And the slow build part was um, the more success we had, the more the more accounts we got. And the more accounts we got, the more retainer base we could build. The more retainer base we build, the more we could take risks and trying different things and new things and, and getting expanding a little bit beyond, right? So those steps sort of are all – you know, take time to get there. But 
um, for me, again, going back to when I first moved out of New York City, was like, well, how am I re- how am I relevant, or how is my company going to be mm-hmm. relevant in this space? When you either have to be on Madison Avenue, or you know, in or around Broadway and major markets, um, you know, as, as part of the fabric of the industry. But uh, so that for me was just terrifying. And what set that set us apart was when we started working on tours across the country. So we handle entertainment now in 90 cities across the U.S. and Canada every single year. So I think that was a moment where it was like, we can do this from anywhere. We need to, I want to be able to be on a, on a plane. I do want to be on a train. I want to be in front of clients because it's important to have the relationships. But even more mm-hmm. importantly from the relationships is just making sure that you're constantly talking and getting stuff done so that they can breathe a little bit easier. Um, so I guess expanding beyond the footprint and taking things national was huge. And then another um, piece of business that was a game changer for us was being an agency, um, you know, on board with One World Trade Center, One World Observatory, um, three years before it opened, and mm. creating their entire launch marketing strategy and um, developing, you know, getting people to the doorstep on day one because after 14 years of construction, they needed yeah. people to be there on the first day. And, you know, that was not only um, a moment about how we're relevant um, anywhere, but having New York believe in us in a way that is the most honorable, you know, project in in my lifetime because I was in New York on 9/11. But to be there, to be to see the return of the building to the skyline, just was was a moment that was not only a great moment in business, but also a great moment for for me as a person. Sure, of course kind of bringing tears to my eyes a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's funny. When, I, when, I, when my kids love that book, The Man Who Walked Between the Towers, yeah. and, and, we, we, you know, and then you know, they're only nine, so they weren't alive in yeah. 9-11. And, and so to try to explain to them the whole thing and the, and the symbolism of the buildings and the, you know, the, whole, the symbolism of the whole building and crumbling – of the of the whole thing, and then and then this whole kind of rebirth of of that area um, of yeah. New York is, yeah, it's a it's a huge step forward for the whole United States. You know, it's powerful and, and it resonated yeah. across the country and around the world, and just the resilience of of not only New York but but the nation is just it's mm-hmm. it's positive. So anyway, that that mm-hmm. moment and One World Observatory was 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 great for us, and certainly. Um, just being recognized as an agency player that can handle their full-on launch campaign and marketing campaign right. and advertising rollout um, was was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it's something that momentous and huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. Um, so what um, – do you guys – are you guys big into social media? Does that play a role for you in your business? I mean, do you have to participate – in you know your clients social media at all or yeah good question and and it's funny because um i get a lot of slack from not the slack as in company communication great company by the way we use it yeah (laughs) but but i get a lot of i should say flack 
um, uh-huh. from friends and colleagues because our agency is not really on social media. But um, we do social media every single day, all day for our clients. So mm. um, it's actually critical to a lot of almost every plan we do now is how it all works together and the messaging strategy and content communications to make sure everything is fully integrated. So what a client may put up on their organic or if we put it up on their organic, um, that way that when we go to do a boost or, you know, push into paid where all of the messaging sort of comes from the same place and is on to the same mission to drive sales. So we'll orchestrate um, curated posts, whether it's for Instagram or all of our programmatic buying through digital. But um, we're active on it for our clients, but not as active on it probably <laughs> the agency should be. And it's probably more of a personal conundrum. I think I have to have the right uh, <laughs> content person focused on staff just to handle our own. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny, you know, not growing up with social media, you know, as a kid or anything. To me, it's it seems kind of like a fun game, game in a way, and um, you know, and I mean, obviously, tons of my clients rely on it for business, and and I, I do just to a certain extent. I wouldn't say social media is like a driving factor, even though I actually ever I got my first ever client coaching client through Twitter. Oh, <laughs> but, wow, that's um, great. Yeah, isn't that funny? I was like, really? You found me on Twitter? I've been, been on there for like 15 minutes. <laughs> so, um, and uh, it was just a, another random fluke. Um, but uh, I don't think I've ever gotten another client from Twitter it's since 2009. But, um, but it's, and I do get them through Facebook but, and occasionally LinkedIn. But it's, huh. it's funny. Um, you know, I think of it, I don't tend to think of it as a marketing tool for myself either. You know, I think of it totally as a marketing tool for my clients and, you know, sort of in the same way, you know, that you do, right? It's really important to their business and, um, but I tend to, I think, you know, there's lots of things about being in business where you, you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Yeah. Um, right, and, right. <laughs> and, and that you're like, wait a minute, I forgot to do that to help myself. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny when you think about it and you're like, well, I don't know, I'm going to have to think about this for myself and see whether it's really worth it or, you know, or whether yeah. I should get someone to do it or And to be like devoted that. to it, right? Because it's yes, just totally. like for, for our clients, like it's not just something we just do. It's if you're launching, right. especially if it's for a brand or you know, yep. a product yeah. that's going to have a lifespan, like long lifespan. Exactly. You want to make sure that you've got a plan for your content and communications well thought out yes. before you launch because totally. you're committing to it. <laughs> right, exactly, and it's going to be out there forever. <laughs> yes, yeah, so noted. I need, to, yeah. I need to buy a pair of shoes, you know, and um, yeah, I think exactly. because we've been a referral base to date, you know, the moment we uh, decide to promote ourselves, and certainly I don't disagree. I'm sure we'll get business by promoting ourselves, so yeah. shame on us. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think pretty much, I would say most business owners have that same issue. Yeah. Um, so, um I wanted to ask you if you were going to tell your young self starting out today, you know, if you were if if you were your own mentee, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself if you were just starting? Uh, a couple things probably and some things I'm still trying to tell myself. <laughs> but um you know, probably one of the biggest things is that you do have to pivot and adjust and be flexible, but never lose sight of your end game. 
I always admire people that are cool cucumbers, you know, thick skin, doesn't, you know, nothing rattles them very much. And Uh I think that comes with experience uh, where you see something that feels like a giant wave or hurdle or just the, you know, possibly the worst thing that could ever happen to the business. Over time, with more experience and more challenges and more ups and downs, those waves just become ripples. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seasons you. It probably ages you. (laughs) But it makes you stronger and smarter. And and I think your your line is stronger, better, faster. And and that's exactly what experience and weathering the storm will get you. Oh, Although the faster that. part, I guess I'd like to, I should definitely dig into the faster. <laughs> Faster's not always better. Right. Especially when it comes to age. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so I want to ask you one more question. Um, so what's next for Lyft? Like how do you, what's, what's next in your planning about how you're going to grow your business or, or how do you, you know, and if you're not sure, then, you know, sort of like how do you plan or, or try to develop what that next stage is? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and certainly for us, it's all about um, maintaining a high level of, and a high profile roster of clients, um, always working with, with top brands um, to deliver results. So, you know, eventually we're going to start promoting. Um, we just relaunched our website, um, you know, investing in the appropriate pitch um, folks and and experts on our staff to really build. But now that we've made um, some really great connections with teams and sporting franchises across the country, we'd like to get more involved um, and stay stay really close with our clients. So I think just future growth, but certainly um, an eye on maintaining the service and quality, which is what we've become known for. That's great. I mean, I love that you guys – I mean, I love that you have – the wherewithal and the knowledge from your, you know, eons of experience now to, um, to, you know, to be able to look at ways that you can, you know, branch out and, and what your different verticals are and, and how you can capitalize on the different steps. You know, so I think so many people, you know, just keep going with the one thing. You know, it's kind of like, let's just say, you know, for layman's terms, right, at, uh, somebody who designs skirts, Right. Well, they just make skirts. Well, you can't just make skirts forever. You've got to eventually add right. the shirt and the blouse and the sweater and the pants and maybe shoes and accessories and you know and and see how you can can capitalize on different ways that people want more from you and, right. and what you can do to to engage them and like oh you're doing that oh I want that too you know yeah. and and so it's I think it's a really valuable lesson for people to, to know that you have to look at outside of what seems like your bread and butter, you know, to bring in, you know, the other rest of the table setting, I guess. Yeah, no, and you're right. I mean, from an agency side, it's services, right? It's what staying right. ahead of the curve and trying to predict what the next move is. And, and everything is so fast-paced now that, um, and this is, a, you know, plaguing agencies across the board is that services and labor costs are, getting slashed because it's competition and things are moving so quickly. So it, the, the 
the industry has changed on the agency side. And as a result, we need to be much more flexible because um, in order to deliver for our clients, you know, our plans have to be flexible. So we mm-hmm. don't plan for a full year. We don't plan for six months. We're planning sometimes, you know, quarterly. We're sometimes planning for the next four weeks and, and having right. to adjust for the next four weeks. So um, that flexibility can feel exhausting, but it's so necessary in the environment, especially especially online, now that you have to be able to be proactive, but at the same time have the ability to react and adjust. Exactly. Right. I think, it's, I think the future is all about being able to react and adjust quickly mm-hmm. to whatever's changing. I mean, I think that, you know, People Magazine, for example, and this might sound like a really silly comparison, but they have to, they, they've been doing this for eons, right, since whenever they came out in the 60s or 70s, yeah. right? And they've, they, have to, they have to have had to pivot and adjust every single week of the entire existence of the business, right? Because, you know, they're writing about such and such celebrity and then somebody dies and they have to put them on the front page instead, right? Yeah. So it's, it's everything, you know, I think it's just a lesson in, entrepreneur, in entrepreneurship that, you know, being able to pivot and adjust is the name of the game and that when you get stuck in doing things in a certain way, you kind of wither on the vine right. and there's, there's no forward time. movement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Abby, thanks so much. This was so fun to talk to you, and I really look forward to seeing what you guys have coming up next, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a great day. I had a great time. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks for tuning in to A Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere, and we'll see you on the next one.